Today, we're back in Ecclesiastes. A um, little sermon called Pilgrim's Distraction. And that'll make sense as we go further. But here's a question. Who invented dynamite? Does anybody know who invented dynamite? Who, who said that? You... Give Bob, I don't know, what do we give him? Give him church points, yes. Elfert, yes, yes. Now, don't steal my sermon illustration here. Okay. So, uh, Elford Noble, the inventor of dynamite, one day opened up the newspaper back in uh, 1888, and he read his own obituary. And uh, there had been a mistake. It was actually his brother who died, but the obituary guy was lazy, and he said it was Alfred Nobel who died. So he decided he would read about his own life. And the writer actually used these words to describe him. They called him the dynamite king and the merchant of death. And he was horrified that that's how he would be remembered. So he set out to leave a, uh, a lasting legacy. He left an endowment that would uh, give a prize every year for outstanding contributions in physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace. And that is the Nobel Peace Prize. That's where that comes from. The inventor of dynamite read his own obituary and said, I want to uh, leave a legacy of bettering humanity, not just blowing up humanity. Okay? So you could say facing his own death and facing his own legacy changed his life and really changed the world. Now, that's kind of where Solomon is going in chapter 7, the first four verses, in essence, he's saying, you're really not living life until you've come to grips with your own death. So this seems a little morbid, but it's really not. Okay, let me, let me read the first four verses. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. What in the world is he saying? Well, let's go through it piece by piece. A good name is better than precious ointment. Now, that alone is kind of strange. What, why, why those two? The, uh, having a good name is better than a bottle of Brut. By the way, I still use Brut. If it's good enough for Joe Namath, it's good enough for me, right? Um, some of you are like, who's Joe Namath? Who's Walter Payton? Okay. Um, so is he just saying having a good reputation is better than a bottle of cologne? Well, 
that, as true as that is, okay, in the context of death, I think it's going a little bit deeper than that. Do you remember when Mary poured the ointment or the perfume on Jesus and he said, this was to prepare me for burial. In essence, he was saying, she may not even know what she's doing, but I'm going to die in a few days. And this is pointing to my upcoming death. When he died, they took his body off the cross, wrapped it in cloth and a hundred pounds of spices and ointment. I think Solomon is not just talking about perfume here. He's talking about burial perfume. Right? So, so what's he saying? When you die, yes, it's nice to have that burial ointment, that burial perfume to smell nice at your own funeral. That, that's nice. But you know what's better at your own funeral? To leave behind a good name, a good legacy. So, he's saying, look to your death. What are people going to say about your life? Boy, he sure loved his bowling. Boy, he sure loved to party. Boy, he didn't miss his TV show. Or, boy, he loved the Lord. He loved his family. He loved his church. He loved the gospel. I thought about this this week. I, I hope people would say, Pastor Brian was faithful. Faithful to the Lord. Faithful to the church. Faithful to his wife. Faithful to his family. Faithful to the gospel. Okay? So what Solomon's doing is he's saying, look to that end day and repent if you need to. There's time to change. Right? Then, he, then he says, second part of verse 1, and the day of death better than the day of birth. How so? Well, for the Christian, certainly to live is Christ, to die is gain. Right? The, the first day of your eternity is far better than the first day of your physical birth. Okay? But in context here, I think he's saying just as a good name leaves a lasting legacy to the survivors. A life well lived preaches far better than a life yet to be lived. Okay, The day of your death, if you've lived to the glory of God, preaches better than the day of your birth because, hey, it's a happy day. You've been born and you're cute, but you haven't left a legacy. Then verse 2, it's better to go to the house of mourning. Better to go to a funeral than to go to the house of feasting. Better to go to a funeral than to the golden corral. Okay? Um, why? For this is the end of all mankind. You're all going to die. And the living will lay it to heart. What, what, what that's saying is, at a funeral, you must come face to face with the reality of your approaching death. 
you know, they, they say, hey, preachers, the, the one time people are listening is when the sermon illustration is a body laid out behind you. Right? Because they, they can't avoid the reality of eternity and life and death when there's a dead person in the room. Okay? So, um, what, what this is saying is, have you looked square at the reality of death? You will die. You will stand before God. And you will go to one of two places for eternity. Heaven or hell. That's a long time. So make sure you have your eternity squared away. Now, uh, we're not going to cover verse 20, but in verse 20 of this chapter, it says there's no, there's no righteous person on the planet. And here's your dilemma. Here's your problem. God requires perfection to get into heaven. But there's nobody righteous. What will you do? You will be in that box one day and your soul will stand before God and you will go to heaven or hell. Do you know how to be assured of where you are going? Look at uh, 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I grew up all my life. I never, never knew you could know that you could have assurance that you have eternal life. I thought it was, you know, on Judgment Day, um, they'll weigh my good deeds against my bad deeds. Hopefully I've been good enough and religious enough. And then I heard the gospel. First I heard the bad news. You can never be good enough. Then I heard the good news. It has to do with believing in the name of the Son of God. That Jesus died for my sins. He died on that cross to pay for my sins. And when I trust in Him, what He did for me becomes mine. And I can live the rest of my life as I believe in Him with assurance that my eternity is fixed. And that changes everything. It changes the way I experience life. It, it, it changes the legacy that, I, that I'm going to live. Have you dealt with your impending death and eternity? If not, what are you waiting for? What could be more important? Right? So, uh, Solomon, is, is, is he being morbid? No, he's saying, go to that funeral. Look at that dead person. Now do the business you need to do with God to make sure that you know where you're going. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Now again, what? Why is sadness better? Well, the sadness and mourning of death, again, it, 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 it prepares us to deal with our own mortality, and the, the joy comes in, the laughter comes in. When you hear there's a solution, there's good news, there's the gospel, there's Christ's death and resurrection. Then verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Okay? The wise person's heart deals with this reality in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools 
is in the house of mirth. I can't wait to get out of this funeral. I don't want to deal with this morbid thing, this approaching death. Let me out of here. Let me get back uh, to my Netflix. Let me get back to, to just getting my mind off of these morbid things. So are you wise or a fool? You can know for sure that you are heaven-bound. Right? Now, that's, that's part one of chapter 7. In the next six verses, Solomon is going to, to move us from contemplating eternity to now, as we walk with the Lord until we are with Him, he's going to bring up some things that can detour us that can sidetrack us and can even derail us and destroy us on our pilgrim's progress to heaven. You know, Bunyan wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's a dream he had about a, a man named Christian who is on the road to heaven. And he meets different characters, some who help him, some who try to pull him away from his journey to the celestial city. So the, the title of this sermon is Pilgrim's Distractions. Four distractions that can pull you away on your progress to the Lord. Okay, So here we go. Are these things distracting, or, or, and let me even put it this way, are these things, are you aware that these things can even shipwreck your faith? Now you're going to go, well, I thought you couldn't lose your salvation. Well, I'll, I'll come back to that in just a second. But I think we need to take these distractions seriously. First one is just frivolity. He says, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise. So, you know what? When you go to church, sometimes you get your toes stepped on. Sometimes you hear challenging things. When you go to a Bible study, sometimes you, you deal with things that it'd be safer for you to stay away so you don't have to deal with these things. But it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools, just to hang around the frivolous where nothing serious is ever dealt with. And then he says this, for the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This, is also, this also is vanity. So if you ever have a campfire and you, you throw some twigs in and pop, 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 pop. That, that's the, the voice of frivolity. A lot of people just live in that world their entire life where nothing of substance is ever talked about. You know, I, I can only go so long surrounded by frivolity before I need to just get my head into something eternal. Okay? I think God used that when I went off to college. My first year of college was a year of just, is this you know, parties and stupidity is this what life is all about and it got me searching for the deeper things 
in life. But some people, that's the world they love. Just don't let me think about eternal things. Now, here's the warning. Some people have set out to follow Christ, and they've come out of a life of frivolity. But over time, it becomes apparent that in their heart, they'd rather live back there in that old lifestyle with those old friends, with that old type of entertainment. And what that reveals is that they never really believed in Christ to begin with. Jesus in Luke 17 He's talking about his return. He's talking about the end times. He talks about a time of tribulation that's going to come on the earth. He talks about fleeing. And then in the midst of all this, he says these three words. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. What's that all about? Lot and his family lived in Sodom a place of depravity. And some angels come to rescue Lot and his family. And as they're fleeing, there's fire and brimstone falling out of the sky. And as they're fleeing, one of the angels says, don't look back. And here's what it says in Genesis 19.26. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And that word looked is not just, oops, she tripped and her neck turned. <laughs> and then God zaps her and turns her into a pillar of salt. Well, that's, man, keep your eyes straight ahead. You better not, you better not trip. No, the, the word means she looked back with fondness. She's missing her friends and that lifestyle. Right? Some people go back. Peter writes this, 2 Peter 2, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. What he's saying is, better that you've never even heard the gospel than to hear it, to start out following the Lord, and then to turn back. There's double accountability now. Verse 21, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And then, Peter, could you be more graphic, please? Just give us a really gross illustration, okay? What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. Those of you with dogs know what I'm talking about, right? And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. There are many who've come out of a life of frivolity. They go to church, they hear the gospel, they start to clean up their, their life, they're following the Lord, but then 
they look back fondly and they go back. They've been distracted and destroyed. Okay? Take the temptation and the distraction of frivolity seriously. Okay? Let me move on to the next distraction. Money. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness. So we could do a whole point on this that... Uh, p- righteous people who are being oppressed, it drives you crazy. Okay? And then the second thing, and a bribe corrupts the heart. How many Christians have been derailed by corruption and just the allurement of money? Stories told of a convention, business convention, and man is at a dinner table and he turns to the woman next to him and he says, would you go back to my room for a million dollars? And she thinks about it and she says, a million dollars? I think I would for a million dollars. And then he says, would you go back for a dollar? And she says, What do you think I am? And he said, well, we've already established that. Now we're just negotiating the price. What's your price? And the allurement of, of money can corrupt a professing follower of Christ. Let me show you something uh, interesting here. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money... Now, there are, there are Christians who are blessed with money. It's not necessarily the possession of money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have, look at this, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul, in that same later letter, talks about people who have made shipwreck of their faith. Let me show you a shipwreck. Okay. Um, there's a guy named Demas who's mentioned three times in Paul's letters. In Colossians, Paul's in, Paul's in prison, and he's writing to the Colossians, and he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. So Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, he's writing to the Colossians. Luke says hi. As does Demas. So Demas and Luke are on the same level. They're, they're, uh, they're ministry partners with the Apostle Paul. So much so that, that uh, the people in Colossae, wherever Paul's writing from, they know him. And he, he says, hey, Luke and Demas say hi. Then in Philemon, little book of Philemon, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So he's, a, he's not an apostle, but he's on the level of an apostolic worker with Paul. Now, Paul writes the last letter of his life. 
from Rome in prison. And he mentions Demas one more time. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Paul's not using nice language. Well, he was busy. He's deserted me. And he was in love with the world. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know what what that means. Uh, But he found the world more attractive than Christ. An apostolic worker with Paul. Now, I know you're saying, but did he lose his salvation? We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Let's, let's look at the, the, the third distraction that Solomon brings up. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. You know what? I cut the grass yesterday before the hail. Did you guys get hail? We got, we got like hail dumped on us yesterday. Um, but I always set out cutting the grass. And I'm like, oh, this is going to take forever. But then when it's done, you know, you do that last little piece. Nice, I completed it. I'm glad I was patient and did it, right? Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Proud in spirit, I don't have time for this. I don't need this, okay? I heard a a comedian say, 24-hour banking. I don't have time for that. Um, Some of you will get that later. (laughs) Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. So here we have a picture of the angry, impatient person who doesn't follow through. A distraction from following Christ is the impatient person. It takes time for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. It takes time to love people. It takes time to serve people. And some people just get impatient. Okay? Now, patience and endurance, enduring difficult times, are key qualities of a truly saved Christian who endures through trials and temptations and persecutions and doesn't become impatient and just quit. Now, take a look at this. Matthew 24. Okay, we looked at Luke 17 where Jesus is talking about his return. Here in Matthew 24, he says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. You know, so far, it's been pretty easy to be a Christian, in, at least in this culture. Are you ready for this? Be hated by all? And then, okay, when the pressure comes, then many will fall away. Many are going AWOL. And betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. You know, uh, 
All you got to do is come up with a little bit easier message. Right? You, you, you attract the people who don't want to really follow Christ, but they, they, they want to be churchy and they want to be called Christians. So false prophets will arise. Um, when persecution comes, that's perilous times because false prophets arise. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. There'll be a lot of hatred in the air, a lot of division. Okay. Now, look at verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I thought you were saved by believing in Jesus. You get that all taken care of. You pray the prayer. You say, Jesus, save me. And you're good. It's gold. What's this? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, there's two ways to take this. One, you can be saved and lose your salvation. Two, if you don't endure to the end, guess what? You were never saved to begin with. That's where I would be coming from. That falling away under pressure shows you were never saved to begin with. That's why, I've said this before, I'll say it again, I prefer the term, the perseverance of the saints, than the phrase, once saved, always saved. Because the concept of once saved, always saved is, yep, I went to camp when I was a little kid, I prayed a prayer, and I've lived like the devil the rest of my life, but I was saved back then, therefore I must be saved. Um, the, the Reformation term is the perseverance of the saints. If you're saved, you will persevere in the faith to the end. And if you bail out, guess what? There's such a thing as false faith. In 1 John, John writes it this way, they went out from us. So some people have left the, the, the true gospel. They went out from us but they were not of us. Well, how do you know? For, because if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John's logic is this. The fact that they started with us, that doesn't prove anything. And, and by the way, be careful that you don't, you don't apply this to a particular church. That's almost cultic. Anybody who leaves this particular church. No, it's talking about the gospel. They started with us, following the true Lord and the true gospel, but then they left. They abandoned that. And you know what? He says that shows they never truly were with us to begin with. And, and Scripture doesn't sugarcoat it. In Revelation 13.10, it says, If anyone is to be taken captive... To captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance. NIV says, patient endurance and faith of the saints. John, come on, give us something to get out of it. No, you may die. You may have to die. 
be slain with the sword, go into captivity. What's, what do we do? We patiently endure to the end because that's what true followers of Christ do. You know, some leave Christ over persecution. Some leave Christ over sin. Some just fade away because it's not convenient. It's boring. Okay. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. All right. One last distraction that Solomon brings up. The good old days. What's that? Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. So this is the person who's always going, oh, ah, it was so much better back then. I think of what the Bruce Springsteen song, Glory Days. He runs into these friends and all they do is sit around talking about, ah, High school. Remember, those were the glory days. Speaking of that, let me tell you about a football thing that happened to me. No. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always better back then. We watched a movie the other night where it was a time travel thing, and the guy went back to Paris in the 1920s, and he thought this would be the time. This is, this is the, the perfect time to live. And he meets a girl... And she's from the 1920s, but they travel back to the 1890s, and she's like, oh, this would be the time to live. And then the people in that time, they go, oh, you know, the Renaissance, that would have been the time. And everybody's looking back to the good old days. Solomon says, you know, it's okay to, to reminisce. I, I, one of my favorite songs, Reminiscing by Little River Band. Um, But if you're living in a constant state of discontentment, oh, the good old days, you're wasting your life. And that constant state of looking back can derail your faith as it did the Israelites in the desert. All right? God sets them free from slavery, takes them through the Red Sea, provides magical manna from heaven. But then they start looking back to Egypt. And in Numbers it says, Now the rabble that was among them, how politically incorrect, Moses, to call people rabble. Well, there's rabble, right? The rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. It cost nothing. You know, Nile River just caught those fish, smoked fish, cooked fish, a little tartar sauce. Mm, good. The cucumbers. Oh, we miss the cucumbers. The melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. 
grumbling because of their current situation. You know, Moses, if I were Moses, I'd say, would you rather be captive abused slaves with cucumbers or free with manna? They don't see the goodness of God. They just look back at the glory days. Are you discontent? Would you rather be a hell-bound, Satan-enslaved unbeliever? You can go back. Or a saved, dearly loved saint with some difficulties as you're a pilgrim walking that path. So let, let me close with, uh, speaking of the glory days, do you remember back when music was good? No. <laughs> Keith Green wrote a song called, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. So you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure? Are you sorry you bought that one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? Eating leeks and onions by the Nile. Ooh, what breath <laughs> for dining out in style. Oh, my life's on the skids, building those pyramids. Well, there's nothing to do but travel, and we sure travel a lot, because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. And in the morning, it's manna hot cakes. We snack on manna all day, and we sure had a winner last night for dinner, flaming manna souffle. Well, we once complained for something new to munch. The ground opened up and had some of us for lunch. Oh, such smire and fire and smoke. Can't God even take a joke? So you want to go back to Egypt where your friends wait for you. You can throw a big party and tell the whole gang what they said was all true. And this Moses acts like a big shot. Who does he think he is? It's true that God works lots of miracles, but Moses thinks they're all his. Oh, we're having so much trouble even now. Why did he get so mad about that cow? Moses seems rather idle. He just sits around and writes the Bible. Oh, Moses, put down your pen. Oh, no. Manna again. So, here's, here's the takeaway. Have you dealt with death? Have you dealt with eternal life? And as you're walking, what is your biggest distraction from staying focused? The call of frivolity? The allurement of money? Just impatience? I don't even know what's wrong, but I'm not happy. Or the glory of the, the good old days? Right, let's take a moment of silence. Why don't you have the worship team come up? And why don't you just talk to God about which of those is your biggest distraction?